Pastor Jared will be back from Europe on Tuesday, and so then you can bug him after that. And so, um, as you know, I like to pray before I start my message, and so if you would join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you are good, Lord. I prayed, Father, that um, the focus would not be on me, Lord. I pray, Lord, that all the glory would be to you, Lord. I am simply a mouthpiece, Lord, and so I humble myself before you, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would use me, Lord. Allow me, Father, to be led by you and not by myself, Lord. And I pray for every mind and every soul in here, Lord, that they would soak up this message, Lord, and that they would live it out, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we've been in this series called, Yes, I'm With Him, and it's kind of this this series of, um, so growing up, I had a lot of cousins, right? We're all the same age, and there's this moment that I remember that was really funny. Uh, my, my little cousin, uh, a girl, she was having some boyfriend problems, and this guy had said something to her, and she was all crying to us, and, uh, you know, the big three big boy cousins walked over to this little boy, <laughs> not little boy, not little, but a year younger, and we walked into this little boy, we're like, why did you talk to our cousin like that? It's like, I'm with him. That's kind of what my cousin said was, I'm with, I'm with them. They're my cousins. And with God, we kind of play this game too, is like, I'm with him. And sometimes um, when we don't have someone to defend us physically, we can say, Lord, I'm with him, you know. And uh, so we're going through this series called, Yes, I'm in. I'm with him, and in this series, we look at the bad habits of Jesus, and it might be hard to wrap your minds around, well, how can Jesus have bad habits? That just doesn't sound right, and, um, but in fact, these things, these bad habits were things that he did that were just out of the ordinary, out of the ordinary to us and out of the ordinary to the place that he lived in in that time period. And so what seems like bad habits, right, bad habits aren't really bad habits because behind these habits are actually a purpose and a message that the Lord is trying to portray, right? And I'm trying to explain this because maybe it's confusing of, well, bad habit of Jesus. That doesn't make sense, right? Um, And so a, a couple examples, right? So Jesus was wasteful, wasteful, right? Uh, with the loaves of bread and fish, right? He made more than he needed. He's wasteful, right? Wasteful. Not, not truly wasteful. Um, or example, he, he has no matters. He always seems to show up late, so he's a procrastinator, right? Um, or he spits on mud and rubs it in someone's eyes and heals them. That's nasty, right? <laughs> and so... But with each bad habit Jesus had, there was this underlying purpose and reason that went according to the Father's plan and purpose. And so what might seem like a bad habit, right, a bad habit to us is always tied to a purpose and significance for Jesus' time on earth. And so the purpose of this message is that with this in mind is to talk about Jesus' bad habit of disappearing constantly. And this sounds weird. Is it, it sounds kind of like a Houdini kind of thing where, you know, you, you disappear like a magic. No, not talking about that. Jesus would leave at certain times that just didn't make sense, honestly. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look up at a couple of these times where Jesus kind of just peaced out. He disappeared, and then somehow he just appears at another moment. 
And we're going to talk about the significance. And so the first one that we're going to talk about naturally is Jesus disappears in the wilderness. So in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said this, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Jesus disappears in the desert, led by the Holy Spirit, and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil comes to tempt Jesus, and Jesus responds with the word of God and leaves the desert to start his ministry. He hadn't performed any miracle before this. This was after he had heard from God the Father, after he had survived the fast, and he had resisted the temptation of the devil. But why is it significant that Jesus had disappeared in the desert to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, right? We hear this story a lot coming to church, but we really don't know the significance a lot. And so let's look at some previous moments in the Bible where the people of God have been called into the wilderness. And there's actually a lot more than you might realize. So first one. God spoke to Abraham while he was in the wilderness and promised him that his lineage would become a great nation and a great name, right? Second one, God brought the Israelites into the wilderness, speaks to them at Mount Sinai, and this is the place that the Lord spoke to Moses and they received the Ten Commandments. Another one is in the wilderness, God met with Elisha in the midst of his fear and his anguish, when he thought all hope was lost, where he literally said, I'd rather die than be here now, Jesus showed up in the midst of the wilderness. And it was also in the desert when God spoke to John the Baptist, who spent most of his life in the rough conditions of the desert. It's in the wilderness when John became known as the voice calling in the wilderness. For preaching, a bapti- uh, for preaching a message of baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this is all before the arrival of Jesus. And that is from Mark 1, 4. And so what is the importance of Jesus disappearing in the wilderness and it being the desert, right? I just showed you a couple examples of people going within the wilderness, the, the people of God going into the wilderness and God speaking to them. So why is the desert so important? And so the answer comes from my research for this message, and it comes from firmisrael.org. And so if you're interested in that, that's where I got this information from, firmisrael.org. 
And it talks about the importance of seasons of being in the desert, spiritual seasons of being in the desert. So if you didn't know, the Hebrew language, which is a big portion of what the Bible was written in, carries a lot of depth. And we can sometimes lose this complex meaning of a word if we only look at its translation. And I can do this often uh, when I do preachings. I look at translations, but there's a lot, lot more to Hebrew than you might think. And so many seemingly different words can actually be connected in Hebrew because they have a common root, right? Uh, Three core letters. And so with this in mind... The Hebrew word for desert is midbar, M-I-D-B-A-R, midbar. That's the word for desert in Hebrew. And so in Hebrew, there's no vowels. And so instead of it being midbar, M-I-D-B-A-R, it is actually M-D-B-R is how it would be spelled in Hebrew. And fun fact, uh, Hebrew was the only class in college that I actually almost failed. So just so you know, I know it now, but back then I was pretty bad. And so, coincidentally, um, guess what? The, the Hebrew word for s- to speak is medeber, which is M-E-D-A-B-E-R. M-E-D-A-B-E-R is the Hebrew word to speak, right? And so if we take out the vowels, right, because in Hebrew there's no vowels, what does it spell? It spells M-D-B-R, both of the words. So desert is M-D-B-R. And to speak is M-D-B-R. And so the wilderness of the Judean hills is where the Holy Spirit sent Jesus before the start of his public ministry. He was in the desert so that God could have a conversation with him. And so Jesus came to the midbar, the desert, so that God could midarbar speak to him. And so what this tells us is that Jesus didn't wander into the desert by accident. He went there on purpose led by the Holy Spirit because he wanted to hear from God the Father before the start of his ministry. This shows us once again how deep the meaning of wilderness is in the Bible. Abraham, Moses, John, and Elijah, none of them were in the wilderness by accident. God wanted to speak with them, and what better place for a portent meeting with the Lord than the desert where there are no distractions, no life, but only the words of life that the Father can give. And so what can we get out of this, being um, in the wilderness and the desert? Well, sometimes we must endure spiritual deserts or spiritual wildernesses in our life to receive a word from God he has been waiting for us to receive but have been too distracted to listen. And I'll say that again. Sometimes we must endure the spiritual deserts or spiritual wildernesses in our life to receive a word from God he has been waiting for us to receive, but have been too distracted to listen. And so I have a a story for this. um, I I have said this multiple times. My, My uncle had committed suicide a couple years ago, And so um, I was away from my parents, and so I was in California, but they were over here. And so my parents were doing something called a coalition, and what, what the goal was was to train Native American leaders to go back to the reservations and to um, be a, a light within the darkness. And so my parents were doing that here 
in Montana for about, I think, a month or more. And I remember that uh, my dad had found out that my uncle had committed suicide. And he was doing this coalition, right? And my dad is the kind of person where his rest is not rest. It's like he has to cut the lawn. He has to sweep. I mean, literally yesterday, he was in Crow uh, helping clean some cabins. He came back at 8 p.m., and the first thing he does, sweep the floor, right? That's his rest. And so you can imagine he's all over the place trying to get everything in line for this coalition, right? He's trying to get the teachers. He's trying to get the students to listen. And so he's trying to manage everything. And in the midst of this, he learns that his best friend, my uncle, had committed suicide in the midst of all this, right? And so um, my dad, naturally, because he wants to move around a lot, he won't take the moment to kind of pause and really think about what, what just happened, right? And what happens out of any other time is my dad gets COVID the day that he finds out that my uncle had committed suicide, the, the very day. And so not only was my dad away from me and my family, he was away from my mom. My mom couldn't comfort him at all. And so he was locked in a room, and he was there just stuck with his thoughts. But I can tell you, if he was out there doing work, he wouldn't have took the moment to pause. And so there was this moment where my dad literally said that he felt like darkness was closing in on him. That like the, like the devil was just in the room and just watching him in anguish. And my dad said that this was one of the hardest moments in his life was to be stuck in a room without my mom, without us being able to comfort him. It was just him and his thoughts. And you see, if my dad had not, I'm not saying that, <laughs> that God gave him COVID, not saying that. But I am saying that God used the COVID in order to get my dad to a place where he had to listen to the Lord in the midst of his suffering. Right? No distractions. He was in the spiritual desert, and the Lord brought him to this place where he literally had to be alone. It was just him and the Lord. And I remember I had called him one day, and he, he said, this sucks, is what he said. He said, this sucks. I hate being alone, I hate feeling like I'm not doing anything, and I'm just stuck in here. And I, I can tell you, the, these words, I feel like it was not for me because I don't have that much wisdom. <laughs> and so I told him, I said, but I think that the Lord allowed you to get COVID so that you can just stop for one second and think about your best friend dying. Because without that happening, you wouldn't have been brought to that place, and you wouldn't have been able to be in sorrow. You wouldn't have been able to to really think about what you just lost. And in that moment, my dad realized, he was like, you're right. God can use a spiritual desert to speak to me, right? And so maybe you felt this in your life. Maybe you felt these spiritual deserts where it feels as though God isn't speaking to you. You read the Bible and nothing is happening. There's no transformation. There's nothing coming out of it. And it's in these deserts where the Lord really comes to, to give you the water so that you don't need a thirst anymore. The occurrence number two of Jesus disappearing is Je Jesus disappears on water. And so you might know what I'm talking about. And so after feeding the 5,000, Jesus goes to pray. 
And so in Matthew 14, 22 through 34, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead on um, and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed in, in Hereset. And when the men of the place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all the sick to him and begged him to let the sick touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Jesus just had fed the 5,000 with the disciples, yet after such a magnificent miracle, Jesus decided to send the disciples on the Sea of Galilee without him, so he could take time to pray with the Father alone. As it gets later in the day, it became quickly dark, a storm bruised, and the disciples drift for about what they calculate four miles, paddling in their little boats what they calculated for nine hours straight. The disciples were paddling for nine hours straight within the midst of the storm, and you can imagine their arms are, I mean, rowing really tires you out, and for nine hours they're rowing. They had to be tired, beginning to become home, uh, hopeless, watching all the waves come against them, and after it had seemed Jesus had disappeared with no care for the disciples, Jesus shows up. He not only showed up, but he showed up walking on water out of all things. This fills the heart of the already tired disciples with fear, and Peter calls out to Jesus asking if he could join him. But Peter saw the wind. It was the wind and his faith begins to decrease, and he begins to sink. Jesus still reaches out his hand for his hand and leads him to safety. This miracle of walking on water was exactly what convinced the disciples that Jesus was truly the Son of God. Yet just a couple hours earlier, they had witnessed five loaves of bread and two fish multiply to feed 5,000. But it was Jesus walking on water in the midst of the storm that had changed their mind, that they, he was truly the Son of God. It was Jesus walking on water in the midst of the storm. They were watching the waves. They were hopeless. And in the midst of all that, you see Jesus walking on the water, calling out to them. 
And so the importance of water in, in biblical in the Bible, there's so many references of water, and, and there's an importance towards it, right? And so a couple things. Water is the basic element of life, right? Uh, when you watch those shows like Bear Grylls Against the Wild or something like that, I don't know. Uh, usually, what, what do they usually say you need? You need fire, water, and shelter, right? Those are the three things they say, fire, water, and shelter. And I would add, food would be nice, too. Um, but usually those are the three things they say that you need. Another thing, in Exodus, as the Israelites escaped their captors in Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, right? And they were not crushed because of the power of the Lord. Again, water is significant. The Israelites literally escaped their captors through water. In Isaiah 43, 2, it says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Isaiah 42 happens after the Israelites had escaped Egypt and before Jesus had walked on water and saved Peter as he sank into the water during the storm. The Sea of Galilee on which Jesus walked is a body of water if you didn't notice, that is greatly susceptible to sudden and extreme violent storms. These storms are caused by the cold air rushing down from the mountains and surrounding it and colliding with the warm, moist air rising off of the surface of the water. And so I got, I got to go to Israel, and I actually got to be on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked on water. And uh, this, this lake, I mean, they, it's ginormous. It is just huge. And um, it's really, really hot. It feels like you're in Jamaica or something like that. Like, it is just hot, like instant bloody nose kind of thing. And um, it's a far away from one side to the other. And we were in this little boat, and you could see kind of the mountains on the side. And so what happens is what they're describing is that the cold air comes from the mountains. It kind of collides with what's coming off of the Sea of Galilee, and that's the perfect storm right there. And so that would happen often unexpectedly, right? Now, the disciples were fishermen. They should have known that when they were sent on the Sea of Galilee, that there was a chance that there was going to be a storm, right? This is where they grew up. This is, this is in, in uh, Spanish, it's what we call the barrio. It was their barrio. It was their neighborhood. They should have known. And yet they still went on the water because Jesus had told them to, knowing probably that there could have been a, a storm, Right? And so some of the fish disciples were fishermen their whole lives, so they must have been comfortable with the Sea of Galilee, with how, uh, how to operate a boat, and yet the storm was still overcoming them when Jesus showed up and saved them. Jesus also is often described in the Bible as what? The living water. And so you can see there's a, a good significance of what water means in the Bible. And so what is the importance of Jesus disappearing, then later appearing, walking on the Sea of Galilee? Well, it was the miracle that convinced the disciples that Jesus was truly the Son of God. Along with this, Jesus disappeared and took time to pray with the Father on his own before he showed up on the water. Jesus didn't say, all right, go in the water, and then all of a sudden he showed up. He took time with the Father, and then he showed up. 
Jesus had asked Peter, a lowly fisherman, to join the literal Son of God, to join him on the water, to walk on it with him. Jesus, even after seeing Peter join him on the water and lose faith and begin to sink, and Peter cries out, Lord, save me, Jesus immediately reached out, caught Peter's hand, and caught him and brought him up. You know, if I was a good teacher, I would let him drown a little bit and then pick him up so they really learn, you know. Um, but Jesus wasn't like that. Peter had to cross the raging water and what she was familiar with in order to reach the source of living water. He was yet to identify as the source of God. And so I'll say that again. I really hope you understand what this means. Peter had to cross the raging water, the literal raging water in which he was familiar with, right? He was a fisherman in order to reach the source of living water, the water that, that, that could only give you life, that he was yet to identify as the Son of God. And so you could imagine it's a, a, it's a raging water. It, it's a big storm. Have you guys ever—I mean, we just had a storm here, so you should know what a storm is, right? It's a raging storm. In my neighborhood during the storm yesterday or two days ago, all the branches came off our trees, and it was just like piles of branches at every neighbor's house. And so you can imagine the water is raging, right? It, it is just going crazy. The disciples are rocking. They're tired because they were rowing this boat, right? And they see Jesus on the water. They're afraid at first, but Peter's like, if you are truly the Lord, call upon me. And he is crossing this choppy water. He is crossing this water that is being shaken up by the storm. And he crosses it to be caught by the living water as he sinks within the raging waters. Now, what, what am I trying to say here is that sometimes we must cross the raging water of our life to reach the living water named Jesus. Sometimes we must cross the raging water of our life to reach the living water, Jesus. When we had moved here, I, I've told this story many times. When we had moved here, um, Savannah had came in, we had come to a, a season of anxiety, and it was horrible. It was one of the hardest times in our lives. We had just gotten married. We had just moved here. And um, it, we're in a brand new place within Billings, Montana. Savannah's from New York. I'm from California. And you bring us to Montana. Uh, yeah. And so Jesus called us here, though. We came on faith. We came because we felt the Lord was calling us to this place. And imagine you show up because the Lord tells you to show up. And all of a sudden, anxiety hits you more than anything. Right? And in that moment, you can imagine you're not, it's sometimes it, it's hard to really feel the presence of God when you are so hopeless by what's going on in your life. It is so hard. And I remember being, sorry, I don't cry. I'm not a cry, but when I get up here, I cry. And I remember so many times where I was telling the Lord, Lord, you called us to this place. I came because you said to come, and my wife is going through something that I don't understand. I don't know how to help her. Lord, you're the only one that can help her. And I remember 
it, within the raging waters of my life and me and Savannah's life, within the raging waters, the only thing that rescued us was the Lord. The only thing that really gave us nourishment and life was the Lord. I mean, we could have a bad week with this anxiety, and we would show up to church, and it was like the presence of God was there. The love of God was there. And you see, in the midst of that season, we never once cursed the Lord. We never once said, Lord, you're wrong. You made the wrong choice. But we stuck to what the Lord said, and we, we clung to him. Just like Peter had to cling to Jesus to be pulled up from that raging water, we clung to him in that season. Maybe you're going through the season now where family is hard, life is hard, finances are hard. You see, the only thing that you're going to have left, if your whole family left you, if your friends left you, the only thing that you're going to have left is the Lord. That's it. And you have to really ask yourself, are you, will you be willing in those moments of the raging water Will you be able to identify that Jesus is there to save you? Or will you sink so far down that the Lord won't be able to catch you? And maybe you guys were the ones that were pulled up out of that water. And now you're in a season where you're on that boat with Jesus and you're just there on the journey. I encourage you, learn to cling to the Father in the midst of your suffering. Learn to cling to your Father in the midst of a horrible world that's just getting worse in a confusing world, a confused world. Disappearance number three is Jesus disappears into heaven. So after all this, he does the, the biggest disappearance that you can ever think of. And so in the end of Matthew 28, Jesus says this to the disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, what's funny is that right after Jesus says this, we fast forward to Acts 1, and Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and that through the Holy Spirit, the disciples would witness only for Jesus to soon disappear and ascend it to heaven into the clouds. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, Jesus, you made the disciples have a mission to make disciples of all nations. You promised them the Holy Spirit, which the disciples probably have no idea what the true significance of that truly is. And, and what that really means. And then, Jesus, you disappeared to the clouds. And you leave them. And then you say that you're, you'll be with them to the very age, although they just saw you ascend into the clouds. How can you say that you're with them to the very end of the age? How, how does that make sense? And so you see... Uh, there's this book that, that the series is based on. It's called Bad Habits of Jesus by Leonard, Leonard Sweet. And it says that sometimes Jesus has to leave us in order that all that's left is our faith in him. Because when he leaves, we, we have to be so certain that we believe in him, that he is the only one we can cling to. It doesn't matter if we don't see him. 
we cling to him. It doesn't matter if we have these moments where we're just felt with pain and we're like, Lord, where are you? We still cling to him. It's in these moments where Jesus seems to disappear that he reappears to do something magnificent. Maybe in your life you feel as though Jesus has disappeared, but he is going to appear to do something magnificent in your life. Jesus disappeared in the desert. He disappeared, then appeared walking on water. And he disappeared ascending into the clouds, and no one has seen him since. I assure you, the disappearing king, Jesus, will be the soon coming king. But until then, Jesus is ready to speak to you in the midst of your spiritual deserts and wilderness. Jesus is there calling you in the midst of your life's raging waters to himself, the living water. And although you cannot see him, you have full access to Jesus. He is never far away. He is with you to the very end of the age. And he is going to come back soon. If there's one thing I would like you to remember of all of this is this. When Jesus disappears, he always appears again to do the miraculous with no limitations. Jesus walked on water. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus turned the two loaves and the fish into enough to feed 5,000. Jesus suffered the ultimate in death and raised again on the third day. You see, when Jesus disappears, he reappears to do something miraculous. And so in those moments where you feel like Jesus has disappeared, Jesus has not left you. He's, he never left you. He has never left. Even in the moments where you feel as though Jesus couldn't possibly be here in this moment. Maybe it was something that had happened that hurt you emotionally, physically. Jesus was always there. Jesus was always there. You were never forgotten. He never turned a, a blind eye to you. He has always had an eye on you. And so I would encourage you, Jesus might have disappeared physically, but he's going to appear again, and he's going to do the miraculous with no limitation. So don't limit your God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, that although you may feel far away sometimes, Lord, you are still here with us. Lord, I pray, Father, that we see, Father, that anxiety, that suffering, that all these things doesn't mean that you're far away, Lord. You're there right with us. Lord, allow us to see how good you are. Allow us to see that in those moments where you feel like you, we, like we feel like you disappeared, you will appear to, something, to do something miraculous and amazing. Lord, allow us to remember who our God is, that our God is way bigger than this world, that our God is way bigger than humanity, that our God is even bigger than the galaxy in our space. God is way bigger than the problems that we will face. God is way bigger. He has a plan and he has a purpose. 
Lord, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would walk in remembrance of that. That when you feel like you, we, when we feel like you disappeared, you will come back to save us and pull us out of the raging water. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, everyone, have a good Sunday. I hope you guys enjoy your week. Remember, Jesus is on your side. So have a good week. Love you guys.